to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me again live in studio, Not Quite Great Books' own kangaroo whisperer, and maybe a saint, it's Regan Levitt. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Call me the patron saint of Slavic Housewives this week. <laughs> I mean, probably a guy mixed with, uh, you know, choose your your saint yes, of, yeah. of choice from the Catholic Church, you know, all, all, works, all the above. You're back. You agreed to continue doing this even after uh, the first one. How are you feeling about your decision about uh, Young Pope podcasting? It's still good. It's still it's, good. It's still good. I feel glad to be reaching these tens of audience members. <laughs> <laughs> no, millions. 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 That's, the, that's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, of millions. course. Obviously. Um, Let's see. We've seen. We saw the cure in between the last episode and this one. I painted John's nails for him. Yep, exactly. I'm really proud of us. Um, yeah, great time. Uh, <laughs> should we talk about the young pope? Uh, that's what we're here for. Hypothetically, it's Young Pope episode two, directed by Paolo Sorrentino, written by Paolo Sorrentino and Pepe Fiore. Regan, do you have the IMDb summary for us? Sure. Episode two. Uh, Cardinal Voyello continues his investigations while tensions arise between the Pope and Sister Mary. Oh, so much tension. But maybe we can start with what Lenny is up to in this episode. Um, and he, in this meeting with Voyello and Sophia, who is in charge of the yes. marketing and merchandising of the Vatican, uh, Lenny goes into this very, very long um, confrontational, but also like jokey spiel about how um, he's going to be the invisible pope or the shadow pope. Yes. Why is he so insistent on that? We'll get to more of this in gloss, I guess, in the discussion, um, probably. But I think it's just um, Lenny is so conservative that he is trying to be like he's getting into fascist territory um, where he wants to be he wants to emulate the leader of the church God by being what he thinks God is which is invisible ultimately mm-hmm. um, I also think it's interesting that he chooses to do this in a shockingly anti-capitalist move <laughs> because he doesn't want his image printed on, you know, memorable memorabilia, basically. Um, my mom has a medallion with JP2 on it, her favorite pope. That is in a place of reverence next to a, a crucifix in the opening area of my childhood home. Great. For example. Great. Very um, godly. Yes, very godly. Um very into the the worshiping of images, but he's it's uh, it's interesting to me because it's kind of the move that currently the evangelical church has been making for a long time. Of um, we don't make images of God, and that's why they think Catholics are doomed and pagan and bad. It's <laughs> because we have like all of our saint statues and our medallions with their faces on them, and oh man, the crucifix has Jesus's face, even though it looks like a white guy, and Jesus was probably not white. Yeah, almost <laughs> so, almost definitely. Yes, most likely. Um, <laughs> with you know a one percent less than one percent chance of being sort of pale. <laughs> Um, but so I think that's kind of interesting that he's, um, doing that in a, 
in a way that discourages them, like him making the church money almost. Yeah, um, and it's because deep- that's where a lot of the income comes from. The church is selling memorabilia, right? Is Sophia and Royello like identified together? And there's this really funny moment among this was a fucking hilarious episode. Like yes. this is this show is a comedy as much as it is anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, where Sophia and Royello are like walking to this meeting, and like Sophia whispers in Royello's ear, but not so the audience can hear how much income is dependent on selling all of this crap and Voyello is like oh my Um, and it's a very cute moment between the two of them but like Lenny on the one hand this is clearly tied up with as you said like his notion of God is invisible Mm -hmm. or God is inaccessible at least to him and maybe to others Mm -hmm. then there's also though this like deep seatedness of it for him because he says that when he was a bishop when he was archbishop um, he never let anybody take his picture and when right. he did he bought the images before they could go out to the public yeah, so there's true. this um, kind of denial of himself as he says like he says you know I'm no one I don't exist and on the one hand this is like extremely self-abnegating or self-debasing mm-hmm. right. right in the way that we saw his doubts in the first episode about but he also compares himself to like, yes this is it to like Daft Punk Banksy and J.D. Salinger, yes. as, who are famous recluses, although you can find photos of Daft Punk's faces without their helmets now, yeah. just so we all know. Yeah, exactly. And Kubrick, right? That was the fourth Yeah, the other the... one he says is Kubrick. Um, but we also... Kubrick, like, went out and about. Yeah. I don't know what he's getting at for Kubrick. Lenny, also kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly. I mean, those are... I mean... To some extent, those are, like, coded as smart bro people, right? right? Like, I I look askant at someone who's like, yeah, Salinger's my favorite author. Like, I would not... I would would take that person slightly less seriously. Right. I would only take them seriously if they said, like, Franny and Zooey is my favorite um, Salinger piece. Then I would be like, oh, sure, Franny and Zooey, lovely uh, short story collection. I've read only Catcher in the Rye, so I can't I'm speak so to this. I'm so sorry for you. Franny and Zooey is, pretty, is good. <laughs> it was high school, right? Like, we, we were all doing it. I guess. But Franny and Zooey, like, they should teach that in high school. But now we can't because Zooey is gay. Ah, okay. And that's, like, why it's such a great short story collection. Like, coded as or explicitly in the text? He is as out and obvious about it as he can be for the 1960s. Okay. I, I appreciate Literary Corner with Rita and, um, taking advantage of your many capabilities for this podcast. Thank you. I'm so skilled. <laughs> Except at ordering a Starbucks. <laughs> so there's there's the, like, Lenny's multiple selves coming through in this declaration. Yeah. But he tries to sell it to Voyello and Sophia. And Sophia either actually believes it or, like, is enamored with the handsomeness of Lenny. Right, right. Um, which is, again, also comedically, comedically portrayed uh, here in the in that scene where, like, he thinks it's also a marketing strategy as he calls it hyperbole in reverse. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> which is interesting. Why? Um, well, I mean, the point of hyperbole, of course, is to be, like, as a literary term, it's like we're overblowing it. But he's, like, overblowing his mysteriosity, I think. Um, so he's really not using the term correctly because he wants to disappear and just do his work is what he's trying to tell people. What does he think his work is, though? I don't think he even knows. <laughs> right. Again, I'm, a, I'm team Lenny is a little stupid. <laughs> today, at least today. <laughs> He's not the brightest man. <laughs> he's he's our first himbo pope. 
Probably not the first. No? He's not a himbo because he doesn't respect women. Ah, that's right. That's an integral part of, that's the, himbo, right. that's of the himbo scale is fair, that you have to fair. respect women. I stand corrected. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so I think it's just that he's like, but he's so power hungry that he's not thinking clearly, I think is what I'm, where I'm at, where he's like, I'm having power. I'm going to do what I want. And then proceeds to be a dumbass. Yeah. I struggle with this to some extent of like figuring out exactly what Lenny is doing here, because there's certainly that aspect of like the power seekingness and the like, maybe not the brightest uh, bulb, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then there's. At the same time, like, through the image he is projecting to mm-hmm. Voyello and Sophia in that moment, I think faked or superficial on some level, extreme self-confidence and, like, domineering uh, stature, like, covers up some of that and I think actually makes this particular idea or lack of idea that he has more complex. Um, but it may be more complex only in his, like, own fucked upness as opposed to right. complex in any sort of kind of intellectual way. Mm. Mm. I don't even know if I have a response to that, John. You've stumped me. <laughs> that's that's the goal. What is not quite great books except the host trying to stump one another um, because we're all like proving how smart we are. Um, right. Is In true bro manner. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Got me again. <laughs> all right, let's talk about someone who's decisively not a bro, and that's Sister oh, Mary. God bless. Um... Yeah, I think Sister Mary um, is just like at her peak. It was interesting to get to know more about her and her sense of humor this episode um, where she's, um, you know, trying to figure out how she's going to operate with Lenny kind of being a dumbass and then actual <laughs> dumbass Boyle. <laughs> okay, what makes Boyle an actual dumbass before we work back to Sister Mary? Have you seen his face? <laughs> um... I just think that he, it's interesting to me that, like, in the previous episode, we had the four cardinals who are like, Voyello's a snake and blah, blah, blah. And he, like, it's interesting to me because I think he makes all of his flaws so clear to people. And part of me is like, okay, maybe this is a crafty thing where he's trying to be, like, stupid and obsequious, like, to, to be the real power behind things. But it's not working because I think Lenny is well aware that w- of what he's trying to do. Yes. Lenny, I would agree, 100% sees through the obsequious yes. nature of Voyello. Yeah. So if, like, my thought is like, okay, if you're an actual smart person, then you need to reverse and change your behavior to be less readable. And he's just like, I'm going to continue on and, you know, with my... <laughs> What, what did he call the Trinity of the Napoli? Oh, my God. Um, you know, and just be Voyello, who's just kind of bumbling through trying to deal with Lenny, who's a little craftier. And I think Lenny's great skill in this episode that he shows is his ability to read the room. Yes. And to read the way that alliances are shifting around him so right. quickly yes. and then respond to it and try to fuck up the way that they're shifting mm-hmm. against him. Right. So he sees that. So he sees Sister Mary and Voyello becoming slightly closer, having like some sort of rapprochement. Um, and then also hears from Tommaso that Sister Mary is using like a royal we to refer mm-hmm. to uh, to her and to Lenny at the same time and like talking with Fiello or talking with the other cardinals. And so he's, I think, both on a like 
power seeking level this upsets him but more importantly like this hits all of his insecurity imposter syndrome self-doubt mm-hmm. buttons as well right. and his shit with women right and his like mm-hmm. mother issues or his sister issues or whatever right. Right, right. Um, all at the same time and he like turns mostly rapidly against sister mary in this right. episode um, which and we see the fodder for it also yeah. shortly with Andrew, mm-hmm. um, who I was shocked to meet Andrew. Um, I would give him his own hot priest rating in this yeah, moment. He's definitely. very handsome. Um, Sister Mary can really pick him for the, the, men, the young <laughs> men she chooses to mentor. I guess um, I definitely thought it was really interesting how I was expecting. Like we see Andrew from in that flashback, get to the orphanage, meet Sister Mary. And I was expecting to hear the same thing out of her yeah. mouth, but no, it's no. the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite, and I was like, "What the, what the heck?" What um, do you make of that? I'm not sure. Um, so the way I looked at it is that I think it's clear that like Lenny, I'm wondering if too, it's that she read into Lenny this person's need to see a sense of authority mm. that wasn't a mother mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, because maybe she saw that, like, like the thing we learned about it with Lenny is that his parents just basically were like, we don't really want to be parents anymore. So off you go. We're peacing out to Venice. Exactly. And so I'm wondering if she sensed that trauma and thought, oh, I'm not going to re-traumatize him by being like a mother figure or whatever. Um, and then maybe learned from it with Andrew, or if that Andrew, I mean, Andrew kind of comes from different circumstances, like as to why he's an orphan. I'm well, no, but we never find out why. He's no, an we don't find show. out why he's an orphan. So, but I mean, like, I think that's a reasonable inference from the way right. it's presented. Does he, yeah, yeah, he comes from maybe a different situation. Um, you know, maybe his parents died in a tragic barn fire. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's my non-canon, um, my head canon, as yeah. we say mm-hmm. in the biz. Um, I'm familiar with this term. Oh, good. <laughs> I used. Canon in an email to Danielle this morning. That brings me so much joy. Um, I'm amazed that Danielle is answering emails on her Mamma Mia adventure. But um, yeah, so the reverse of Lenny. But it's interesting to me that also he does much more caring work. Um, he gets the affection of, of a parent from Sister Mary, and he's a missionary. Yeah. Um, so he's ostensibly, I mm, not great books podcast reference uh, of law. Missionary work is actually harmful. Yes. <laughs> and service trips yes. are bullshit. Uh-huh. If anyone from my college. Nonsense. Yes. There, it's not ethical to do missionary work because you're only going in temporarily. Um, and it's colonialism at work. But he's ostensibly doing something that is at least trying to better others versus... Um, Lenny has gone like the political route. Yeah, and is like fucking around with the cardinals under right. him, right? Witness the story about the letters and the feet yeah. with uh, the Cardinal of Boston or Bishop yes. of Boston. Yeah, or the Bishop of Boston. Yes. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting that he's doing ostensibly the more ethical work. He also still loves to smoke too, though. So it sure does. You would think that he, that the the opposite of Lenny would not smoke, but um, apparently Andrew. Does smoke. Well, I mean, this I don't feel bad saying. That, like, one of the smaller, like, motifs or storylines throughout the season is in what ways 
are Andrew, uh, Cardinal Dussolier, Dussolier uh, and Lenny different? And in which ways are they the same? Okay. Because even as they go in these opposite directions, they are identifying, right? They both are under the differ, differingly relational, like familial tutelage of Sister Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up together, right? We'll find out a little bit more about their childhoods together, I think, later in the in the season, or maybe it's the in the New Pope. Um, and so, like to what extent they are the same people and then how did they then end up with the differences in divergent past mm-hmm. the like extremely divergent okay. past that leads uh andrew to say like he prefers life and shit as opposed to the death and incense of mm. the vatican interesting which is a great line that is a great line it's good writing it's good writing um so sister mary loves voyello's speech yes the the Voyello. why do you think like it appeals to her <sighs> I think because there is some charm to it. I think Sister Mary, if there is a flaw within her, is that I think she's easily swayed by by, by some charmingness. And that's not to say that she is also not reading into things and reading into the politics. Um, but she's also, like Cardinal de Soulier slash Andrew, um, doing like the work in the trenches. Yeah. So, of course, she's going to hear a speech and be excited by a speech because that's not something she's always familiar with. Like when you're working, she's like Andrew doing service work um, in a community with working with orphans. Um, so of course I think she's going to be swayed by like a political move like that. So that's, I don't know. I didn't give a ton of thought into the, why she liked the speech so much. I, th- I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a great point. And I would add that I, it, to me it read as like Voyello, who as you pointed out, projects this crafty operator plus obsequiousness. Like, that's what he projects out into the world. And he tells Sister Mary that, like, he put all of his commitments and all of his passion into this speech. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a representation of his vision for the church and, like, how important it is to him. And I think that the ability of Voyello to either, in his own voice, or trying to, like, project those things, those commitments onto Lenny... His ability to do that, his ability to, like, have a warmer, but yet nonetheless still, like, grand vision for the church, I think that is specifically a thing that appeals to Sister Mary. Mm. And also, the, like, he's a good banterer, right? Like, yeah. their witty, like, repartee is, like, it's quite funny, it's quite charming, like, it's a, it's a different mode um, than we see with almost any other two characters. Like, the only right. comparison is maybe, like, Gutierrez and Lenny. Yeah. For a similar kind of, like, good-hearted banter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As opposed to, right. Lenny, I'm going to fuck you up, drag you to hell. <laughs> Actually, quite literally drag you to hell. Right. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, that's, that, that, too. is like, yeah, she, I think, clearly enjoys how Voyello operates in some ways like i don't think she's seeing entirely through him but i do think she's aware of him yeah um she views him in a different way than than lenny does but nonetheless retains this devotion to lenny right, right? like tells boyello lenny is a saint and you should like trust and follow him. right 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 like unlike sister bj she can put her hands on lenny's face mm-hmm. right and tells him i see christ's reflection in you um right and this is, is after they've started to have their falling out right. and she like doesn't come to dinner with him right 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 um which is such a dangerous thing to tell someone who is trying to like <laughs> take over a fascist takeover of the catholic church um Right, because 
I don't know, but also I'm wondering also if it's because of that clear boundary they yeah. have. Mm-hmm. Of she's not his mother. Sister Biche is doing like some mom mm-hmm. grandma mm-hmm. stuff, which clearly makes him extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Um, and he's more comfortable. And like to be fair, I would now that I'm thinking about it, like I too, as someone who is like physically affectionate a lot and very enthusiastic, I wouldn't necessarily want a stranger to kiss my face without even seeing what they really look like. I get it. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, you know, she's not someone who... Um, I'm under the impression that for Lenny, getting affection from Sister Mary feels more earned, I mm. guess, is, like, what I'm Perfect. getting. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he feels that, like... Maybe maybe in the past they had much more contention and it was a harder and now he feels like he's worthy of getting affection from her and, and in some ways I think wants it in some ways I don't think he does but and that simultaneously wanting it and not wanting is I think comes through in another point in the episode where um, Sister Mary like wants to praise Lenny for like the thing that happens with this kangaroo but, which oh we're just about to get to yes um, and Lenny like shuts her down and is like stop it like it's you know it was chance I think or he says something to that effect right right and then she starts to say like you know what about when way back when and you know Lenny just shuts right. it down so there's like the at times maybe it's the times he's feeling more insecure is when he needs that affection but like the time after mm-hmm. he charmed this kangaroo into the gardens right. of the Vatican I mean his I don't know I mean, I mean we, we've we've buried the lead by like taking you know until minute 22 of this podcast or whatever to get to the kangaroo which like yeah. arguably should have been the headline I mean I, guess I mean it was the headline with the introduction but like true well, um, there's a I fucking kangaroo I, I know <laughs> Are we? I, I have one thought in response, sorry. and then we'll get. This is a classic, not quite great books move. Is start to set up a segue, but the other person is like, "No, I have more thoughts on the other things." So cool, we are okay. right on track. I so love it. I mean, <laughs> it's one quip, which is that. <laughs> frankly, the way he seeks out Sister Mary's attention, like mommy issues, uh, yeah. which is yeah. which is a lot. Um, which is interesting to me that the kangaroo is what shows up, which has a really interesting. The kangaroos, I think, um, one, I'm terrified of kangaroos along with dolphins. Um, I didn't know about, okay, the, the kangaroos ones I get, they're like apparently violent motherfuckers. Yeah, so. so are the dolphins. Yeah. Dolphins are terrifying. Um, I, if there's a swimming with dolphins exhibit that people experience <laughs> when I go on this on a cruise, I'm not there. Regan Levitt will be staying on the ship, See, not I'm, swimming with dolphins. It's a, I didn't know this, right? Because like, so obviously we, we're, comrade orcas are in the news right now. Right. Um, so I didn't, I'm also very scared of orcas. Well, I, that's like think legitimate right um, dolphins same boat though they're orcas are just large dolphins that's <laughs> literally how they're scientifically classified who who who, who knew me i know i know <laughs> um i'm impressed uh, so we have scientific knowledge who knew that that was also part of bringing the, you on for co-hosting right? not quite great books um Right, resurging my childhood desire to be a marine biologist. <laughs> but my 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 cousin is an actual marine biologist. Maybe really? we should have him on to. I think this. that sounds great. <laughs> I'm into it. Um, but Shout anyways. out, Nick. <laughs> but anyways. Uh, kangaroos have a really interesting relationship with motherhood because they're marsupials, Ooh. and kangaroos. Um, if they're rejecting a child, like, the joey gets kicked out of, like, the, like they're born, but then they just stay and incubate in, like, their little pouches, right? 
Um, and then if they get kick, they kicked out, they're like done, right? Kangaroos are such an interesting new world animal t- to bring into this episode. Mm-hmm. That's about like a complex relationship with women, um, because they are like. It, it is a delicate thing to rear a young kangaroo. So if that's the case, then how did you interpret the fact that Lenny has this, like, purely peaceful, calm, like, almost loving moment with this kangaroo? Which, like, I have questions about the ethics of shipping a kangaroo to the Vatican. And, like, it's just been... There's, like, there's there's a Vatican official there right. in, like, vestments who's hopefully been making sure the kangaroo has, like, water and food and such. But, like, right. the kangaroo's just been in this cave in some, like, store... In this cage in some storehouse in the Vatican. Right. Um, so I, I have questions about that. But Lenny, like, charms, whispers... Right. ...in a moment of godly, saintly, like, intervention. Channeling Francis of Assisi. Yeah. Chan- Francis um, of Sydney, yes. <laughs> Boyello says later. Okay, so I interpreted the kangaroo as like, one, what an absurd thing for this episode to do. Like, when you think of a nutty animal, the first thing that comes to mind is like, probably anything from Australia, really. Right? Um, So I thought the kangaroo, okay, but kangaroos are also really, really dangerous. We know that, right? Kangaroos are like a huge menace in Australia. Complex relationship with motherhood there. So that was what, like, I was interpreting it as, like, he charms by chance, I think, this kangaroo gets lucky that the kangaroo does not go ape shit, or rather kangaroo shit on him. (laughs) And then manages to like just and it's just like we're not putting it in the zoo and just lets it roam in fucking Vatican City. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um but I thought of it as like he this is what he's doing with Sister Mary. Is okay. that he's like acknowledging we have this complex relationship where you're kind of my mom and kind of not. <laughs> I'm gonna let you run this show. <laughs> and I'm just gonna watch the chaos unfold. So that was kind of my thought. Um, but I also thought it was definitely a moment of he was like, okay, well, I'm going to take this big chance and try to convince them more that I'm the Pope um, as well. What are your thoughts on the kangaroo? Well, so, I mean, A, that I'm not, I think that's a, an incredible reading. I had not considered the, like, kangaroo motherhood angle once before in my life. So I, I appreciate that very much. Um, and then secondly, the point at the end, Sister Mary... Um, our Kaltanaceta, uh, sorry, I, I keep screwing up uh, his name. Uh, yeah, Kaltanaceta. Yeah. Um, the look of just pure awe in between SIGs and inhalers <laughs> right. um, that he gives and like the other cardinals and like folks of the Vatican that are there with him speaks to that like, Lenny is able to inspire awe in mm. this pe- in these people, like you know, awe in the most godly sense, maybe or maybe right. not. I think the uh, show leaves it open for interpretation at this point, and that kind of inspirational part is, I think, key to mm. Lenny's potential appeal. And like, if he has his crafty politician side that he uses to sometimes appeal to people, like witness getting. Um, getting Aguirre mm-hmm. on his team because Oslinch said things about Sister Mary actually right, running right, the show. Right. And another funny moment where Oslinch gets kicked out of his <laughs> office. Um, uh, so there's like the crafty politician side, but then there's also the, he has these like fits of uh, inspiration or enlightenment or um, like actually embodying something godly or saintly. That mm. is another way that, 
this cold, hard, calculating, emotionally turmoil feeling, like fucked up individual shouldn't necessarily be able to like draw enough people into him Mm -hmm. to rise to power and maintain some kind of support. And yet he's done it enough, Mm -hmm. although mainly through Spencer who does show up in this episode. Mm -hmm. But there's like that aspect of the kangaroo. And then there's also the kangaroo as this show loves its like just pure flourishes, um, visual flourishes or auditory flourishes. And like, it also could just be read as like that. Like this is a world that is however many like ticks off of reality. And this Mm -hmm. is just one of the like most striking examples of that Mm -hmm. too. And those are not mutually exclusive of course, but like they're all, those are all, all possibilities I think. Okay. Yeah, no, I think I would agree with all of those. I think that's that's an interesting thing. And also, I don't know, like the the chance that he's like kind of taming this wild animal, like maybe he's going to bring in the the wild Catholic Church under his um, <laughs> conservative conservative agenda. Extremely conservative agenda. Right. Um, so he has this on. I mean, on that note in particular, he has this conversation with the sente, right? Mm-hmm. So the prefect of the congregation of the clergy, who he keeps trying to meet with, and uh, Voyello had blocked him for a couple of meetings or a couple of days or whatever, um, and like starts off by asking him if as sente if he voted for Pope Lenny at the conclave. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Not in one single round. Like appreciates his honesty and then like asks him about it. Are you a homosexual? Right? And Asante. Right. Several deep breaths, glasses off, glasses back on, says yes. And then he immediately just, like, gets him away. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Um, so, like, there's that conservativeness, the, like, potentially fascistic tendencies that right. uh, you've identified that are shining through right there. But, like, that is such a off-putting scene. And it's, like, a very particular way of using Jude Law, who, like, mm-hmm. because he's hot, because, like, all of us have whatever right. favorite characters. Right, we're Jude reading Law. beauty equals goodness. Yes, exactly. The to the T. Exactly. And the show wants Lenny to, like, be cruel or to, you know, be, like, this conservative, you know, opposition to pre- what the presumed viewership of your average HBO prestige <laughs> drama is. <laughs> right. Um, in terms of, in this case, his view on queer people. Right. Um, I mean, I think this is more fodder for my rectory prediction okay. from last episode that Lenny is some kind of queer. And of course he's trying to get temptation away from him. Mm. Perhaps <laughs> that would be, that's, that was my take on that in some ways. Great read. I mean, and I like turning it back on Lenny himself is a fascinating thing in an episode where Amatucci report, reports back to Boyello about his like digging into Lenny's past where uh, Lenny's sexual orientation is unknown. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he never lets anyone take photos of him. Yes. So, you know, he's made, he's put the effort into being as secretive as possible. Uh-huh. But then Boyello and Amatucci have this bit about how, well, he's really only just like married to and loves and desires the church. Right. And uh, Boyello is like, well, the church is a female, so... Mm. Which is a, a strange thing. Yes. I think this takes us to Lenny's speech. Yes. The, like, set piece of this episode, if it's not the kangaroo. <laughs> right. Um, so we have, like, first of all, the build-up in this to it, the staging right. of it. Um, right? All of the cardinals in that, like, palatial anteroom. Yep. Um, which, of course, we saw in the dream in the yes. first episode. Um, then, like, the build-up and excitement to that. Just all of them there. We get to see a lot of, like, our figures that we have come to know over the first, you know, 1.8 episodes so far up to that point. Like, Dusselier showing up late, which right. is nice. 
Gutierrez has this look of care slash love for Lenny mm-hmm. um, slash worry about what Lenny's going to do, I think. <laughs> Me too. Frankly, <laughs> frankly. Um, and then there's the musical and like auditory build up to it. Yeah. And then there's the speech itself, which... I mean, where to start with the speech, Regan? Um, where do you want to start with the speech? It's incredibly Big Brother, um, mm. of like you know, man in the shadows, mm-hmm. um, with how he you know doesn't want to face. And it's just so interesting to me because again, it goes back to that like the beauty equals goodness trope, right? Um, where you know everyone, if if Lenny were into the marketing aspect of things, this man would be selling tons of shit. Every fucking Catholic housewife in America would be into this. And they'd be like, oh man, there would be TikToks about wanting to fuck the Pope, frankly. <laughs> frankly. There would. There would be. <laughs> so, so that was like an interesting to me that he's someone who I think in day-to-day life uses his, his handsomeness to manipulate people. But he chooses not to do it with the rest of the church, which I think is interesting. Um, but I also think about it in, like, the imposter syndrome way. Like, everybody in the church by now at this point, it's his first homily, knows he's 47. Mm-hmm. Which is not very old. Correct. Right? The young pope. The youngest. Possibly. <laughs> it's just interesting of, like, this choice of, like, okay, well, he's also removing that potential, like, kind of, like, imposter syndrome that he could have. Like, the doubt that one might have with a young pope. So he's also maybe establishing some credibility with the audience of like, I'm not even going to let you see me. You can only listen to my words. So they know, he knows he can, they can understand. Um, and his point as like some, as like a rhetorical to- choice in some ways. Um, so that was kind of what I was going for at first of like, okay, this is like a very calculated move, obviously not just going with what he wanted. Like in theory, they could not film this or they wouldn't have projected it to the screens that are around the Vatican. And he didn't have to be in the, (laughs) didn't have to be like so poorly lit. And they could have just been like seeing like one little face. Like I have people who have, I have friends who have been to papal masses and you know, he gives it from his little, uh, you know, window booth or whatever, and you can't really see anything because he's so far away. So that was kind of one thing that I thought about that of like the, the setting it in darkness. <laughs> Obviously, also just going ham, um, really overcompensating for what <laughs> he needs to do. What is he overcompensating for, though? His latent homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I think. Part of what he's compensating for is his doubt in himself, his doubt in God, right? Mm-hmm. We spent a fair amount of time in the talking about with regards to the first episode, right? Right, because there are several points in this episode where, in this uh, speech, where he seems to be speaking back to his own insecurities, inadequacies mm-hmm, vis-a-vis mm-hmm. God and his relationship to God. Right. Um, right. He's like, it's not on me to prove that God does exist. It's up to you to prove he doesn't. And if you can't do right, that, right. then he exists. Mm-hmm. So there, like, there's that insistence on um, this extreme form of belief and like uh, kind of militant belief almost in, in God that of course, like it'd be really comforting for him if he could just 
believe what he just said, mm-hmm. right? Because of his doubts that he has about God. Um, but there's just like so much of it that he has nothing for except scorn and wickedness for those who doubt God, which mm-hmm. means he has scorn and wickedness for, for himself, himself, right? Because of his own self-doubt. Um, he says he'll never be close to, you know, his uh, parishioners, to the Catholic mass, um, but I should say the mass of Catholic people, um, right. that they are alone before God, right? That uh, the pain of liberation is unbearable um, without God. Which is like the ultimate fascist move of like, don't be free. Yes. Stay with the man. Yes. Right. Oh, someone who wanted to unite people would be going with like, the Lord is my shepherd motif. There's no sheep in this speech. No, no, only the like sheep is in like the sheeple. Um, Yeah. That's the, yeah, the only shepherding that's happening. And then he's, when he's like, to your point, like quite explicitly rejecting the role of shepherd. He's like, right. go be close with God and then maybe you can be close with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Or that's the only mm-hmm. way to be close yeah. with me. Yeah. And then also, um, you know, without God, you're as good as dead. So he would rather be dead. Okay. Got it. Cause we're not sure where he's at <laughs> with God. Um, yeah. but also condemning an undoing work that JP two was famous for because, mm. um, JP2 did a lot of outreach work with um, other Abrahamic religions, um, reportedly rather close with Tenzin Gyatso, the current Dalai Lama. Lama, Thank you. Um, Reportedly close with the Dalai Lama. Um, You know, doing a lot of outreach work with other faiths to bring people in. But he's outright saying, like, nope, we're not being friends with anybody. If you're you're either you're either in the Catholic boat or you're done. Yeah, you're with us or you're against. If you're not with us, you're against us. Right. I love this speech so much for. The how drama filled it is, mm-hmm. both in what Lenny is saying and the way that it's presented, in addition to the dramatic ways in which it folds back on Lenny himself, right? So, right. like, there's also the line about people being abandoned strays without God, which, like, what is Lenny the orphan who doesn't quite believe fully in God, if not right. a doubly abandoned stray, abandoned by his mm-hmm. parents, abandoned by God, right? As he said he was abandoned by God, or forsake God, and why has God forsaken me, right? right? Is in the last episode. So, there's that part of it. But then there's also the like drama of the presentation there's the lightning as you pointed out which like the contrast between Lenny and total darkness on this balcony the effect that that darkness has on the like Vatican flag banner or whatever is I thought pretty cool looking and then the cardinals are just in extreme like harsh yellow light Mm -hmm. um, and like extremely exposed to what it is that Lenny is saying which well I think he also has a lit and yellow to say that they're cowards Mm-hmm. Which I think is very clear. Yeah. There's the percussion, like at some of Lenny's most absurd and dramatic lines, there's yeah. the um, like added elements of it, which give it potentially a fascistic, uh, to, to your theory, right. uh, element to it, or just like a kind of militant element to it. Right. But also, uh, this is a, you know, uh, a radio play that doesn't have the visuals, so we need to add in a little extra. Right, right. Um, except that we as viewers actually do get some of actual Lenny, so it's more like pure flourish, I think, for us. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the reactions of the priests. Like, they're just shocked. They're pissed. Right. Um, I think they were. They would have been um, less shocked had he gone with um, the speech about be the Catholic church you want to see. <laughs> I feel like I feel like they would have been more on board for masturbation homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> letting priests, Contraception. Contraception. Letting, what is it? Letting nuns run masses yeah. and letting priests get married. Mm-hmm. Get married. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they would have been more on board, frankly. I mean, I... I 
going to that contrast is, I think, very pointed. And the episode wants us to do that because, like, witness in the dream, like, be the Catholic Church you want to see in the world speech, version of the speech. Lenny comes out. It has been raining. The skies part right. and the sun comes out. And here he uh, finishes his speech, cuts it off right. early because someone shines, like, a laser pointer up at him. And he says, you don't, people don't deserve me. <laughs> um, which, you know, our, right. our, our, our true alienating king, uh, right. Pope Lenny. And then once he walks away, the storm clouds come in, the rain starts yes. to fall, yep. the crowd is bewildered. We got right. like a shot of several of them, like of like some group of them on the bus, like through the Italian countryside, and they're like singing and joyous, and we right. catch up with some of those with the kid in particular, um, who's just like, What the fuck am I watching? Right. And then just symbolic that I guess apparently shit's gonna go down and it's really him embracing uh, the moment of having that chirotic moment of the storm hitting. Yeah. And look at my power and witness what <laughs> I'm about to do. Yeah. Good use of chirotic there. Um, yeah. Very impressive. Um, you pointed out before we started recording that in some ways Lenny's popedom is him rebelling against his parents. Mm. Why do you think that? I think that he feels that he, because he's he's been able to reach this much success with like having no one, right? Like he's the ultimate capitalist in some ways of like no investment on in any other resources, just me. Um, that he is like able to do this. So in, it's in two ways to me. One is like this sort of like, well, if I can be this successful without any support, then everyone else can. Um, Right, the very like boomer mentality, yeah. frankly. Um, <laughs> well, he's straps, he's right? Gen X, right? Yeah, he'd be he would, Gen X. Yeah, he would yeah. be Gen X. Um, Him and John Keller, friend of the show, who you'll uh, meet when we get to the finale, I believe. Okay. Join, he's joining us. Oh boy. Um, and then also, like, he's gone to this ultra conservative, ultra religious life in retrospect of his parents who are like ultra hippies and basically were like, we're going to go do everything hedonistic. Bye. We don't care. Um, and just like peaced out. Um, right. So I think he's also doing it in a way of like, look how far, look at, look at this. I'm embracing a life of complete, like no indulgences aside from cherry Coke zero and the six and the six. That's it. Right. Like, he's, he wants none of it. Actually reminds me of the High Sparrow in Game of Thrones in mm, some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, right? This total, like, lack of, like, I have no indulgences. I live as poor as possible. Like, not going to eat pasti fagio. <laughs> Fine. That's your loss, that money. <laughs> More um, for you. <laughs> bless. Um, but, yeah. So, he, I think it's also, like, an utter rejection of any sort of indulgence or pleasure, which is what his parents have chosen to do. Yeah. But he can't quite run away from the indulgence and pleasure, right? right? Because he's the fucking pope and, like, has the slippers and has the outfits and has, right. like, really stellar popely athleisure wear. I don't know if you caught this when he goes to visit uh, Sister Mary. Oh, true. <laughs> love that. Love that fit. Right. Um, and it's the... It's for him this juxtaposition of this is the most austere in the ways right. that you are identifying, fitting with his no images of me, mm-hmm. you no know, pictures of me, whatever. But there's a like magnificence and majesty and like pomp and circumstance right. of Catholicism, of the Pope, of right. But Saint he's Peter's. embracing the ca- the Catholic part yes. of like the majesty, right? Because yes. that to him is still mm-hmm. the opposite of being hippies. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know a lot of Catholic hippies, frankly. 
I don't know. I think I knew some. I knew some very left Jesuits who were as close to hippie as you could be mm. while like being Jesuits back in my day. See, when I think of like former hippies that have gone into like the deep religious vibe, they're almost always like Baptists or like evangelicals of any kind. Yeah, those indulgent Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Anti-Protestant slander from Regan Levin. The thought we'd wait at least to episode six to get there. So let's move into the segments. Okay. Regan's Rectory. What, what did we find there today? So I um, have the prediction um, that maybe we are going to find out soon that Esther, um, the Swift's guard's wife that we meet at the beginning of the episode, um, is a bit in love with Lenny. Okay. Um, you know, we um, open up on, on her just, like, praying, really, through um, <laughs> some sad, sad missionary-style <laughs> sex. <laughs> and then it closes on, like, her crying after listening to this, yeah. like, horrible speech, essentially. <laughs> Not that it's a bad speech or badly written, but it's, like, echoing horrible things, yeah. right? Um, everything bad about the Catholic Church. Um so I think that we are going to see her again um, and that she is going to be someone who um, tries to maybe um, get close to Lenny. And maybe, I don't know. Will she succeed? Will she fail? I'm not sure. Um, she is very pious. Who knows? Um, <laughs> right. Well, love sure. this prediction. Right. Um, I also will say um, I predict that the kangaroo is going to jump around again um, <laughs> and that we may, the kangaroo may get itself in trouble and maybe we're going to see the kangaroo get crucified. <laughs> to much of, to the chagrin of any um, Australian uh, Catholics. <laughs> the symbol of their country, sacrificed for the Lord. <laughs> Um, I also this think- is maybe my favorite or second favorite prediction ever in the <laughs> Daniel Dossier Regan Rectory uh, area okay. of not quite great books anymore. Um, we're still going to maybe get some latent information that Lenny is queer of some kind, perhaps homosexual. Um, okay. That's why I think he banishes Asante. Um, Asante. Yep. He just wants to remove temptation, um, live his, you know pious, pious life. Um, I also think we're going to get some flashbacks of more of Lenny's interactions with his bio parents. Okay. Probably explaining why he's gone this route. All right. Um, so that's my predictions. These are excellent predictions for Regan's directory. We'll have to come back and loop around uh, later on to see if they are met. Let's head into Gloss. Okay. Maybe we can talk a bit more about Voyello because um, we get a really beautifully shot and staged scene with one nitpick that I will offer in a minute um, where he leaves the Vatican at night. Um, Mm -hmm. He like has this intense gaze at one of the lions at the gates Mm -hmm. um, and then like walks around. Sister Mary follows him out. How Voyola does not see, and maybe he does see, that Sister Mary is following him. Like, Sister Mary would be bad in the Americans. She's a bad spy. Mm -hmm. Um, Until she, like, walks up this little ramp to watch from a distance. That's a little more effective. A, the visuals of and the costuming of Voyello is really excellent. There's, like, a way in which it echoes some of the classic shots of, like, The Exorcist. Mm. Um, The way in his hat and the way that he's lit in particular at night, I thought. And then the, like, way that a couple of the shots are blocked, as I think that's happening there. And, like, I think we're led to believe, and Sister Mary presumably believes, that, like, Foyello is off to his, like... Uh, like his mistress or the man that he sleeps with or whatever, right. like goes into this apartment, like is 
exchanges something with like the doorman or whatever. Um, and like sister Mary thinks that Voyello, like that she got him, right? Mm-hmm. Like she got the dirt that she right. needs on Voyello to bring but back I- to Lenny <laughs> for them to like run against him. But actually it's the most selfless thing you could probably do. Yeah. He like just is caring for this disabled person right. um, who lives like a couple of blocks from the Vatican. Mm-hmm. What, what did you think when like that, re- that reveal and like it's right. a reveal and like um, a classic TV sentence is made. <laughs> It just, it was just interesting to me because I think Voyello, it makes me wonder where he's getting the funds to care for this person um, who clearly has a lot of needs. So I'm wondering if there's more underneath this. Does he draw a salary? I don't know. I don't know this about the Catholic Church. I don't know what to make of any of it. This is information I do not have. He has a very fancy pool table and like uh, a parlor. Right. And he has a nice phone. He has things, right? He has material objects that would indicate some sort of comfort. So I'm wondering if he's like cooking the Vatican books in order to to get some money to find. Now he's not just the high sparrow, but he's little finger too. A little bit. Right. But I'm wondering if he's like, if he's um, getting, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Embezzling. Embezzling. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering if he's embezzling funds to, to care for this person a bonus regan directory maybe yes i guess so <laughs> um but yeah it's interesting that you pointed out the exorcist um comparisons because i did not go there um at having been extremely traumatized by the exorcist <laughs> and not finished it as um a senior or a freshman in college um <laughs> also have never finished um to go back to earlier um the shining uh, as directed by stanley kubrick that movie really scared me too well, we um, still apparently have to watch Midsommar. It's almost the solstice, so actually. Oh, I guess. Maybe, what maybe, are we? maybe after the bear uh, <laughs> celebration, we then watch Midsommar. Right. And I think actually your current outfit would fit with the Midsommar This vibe is true. If we just like moved it to Scandinavian core right. as opposed to like Slavic, uh, housewife, Slavic housewife. Yeah. Um, Slavic housewife begging Baba Yaga to teach her how to perform abortions. <laughs> Um, so I, it is really interestingly shot. I do agree. I think it's also like interesting that Voyello, who does so much obsequiousness, is chooses to do this act of, of charity in some ways mm-hmm. in the cover of darkness. Mm. Um, right. You would think that he would want to be like, look, I'm caring for this. You know, it could be a young relation. I don't I don't know if we ever find out who this yeah. boy is. It just seems to me like there's um, some sort of lack of wanting to be seen also as a generous, charitable person while per, while in his day job being extremely obsequious and helpful yeah. or trying as much to be helpful. But he's being helpful in a manipulative way. So I think it just shows like also the shadows that he feels about mm. himself of how mm-hmm. he has to be. So, um, but the exorcist thing I didn't think of at all, which was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, there is the, like, and I, I, I wanted to say selfless, but I don't think it's entirely selfless. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that it, like, this provides some sort of psychological self-comfort to him that he does this and does this, as you say, under the cover of darkness, quite literally. Right. Um, because it lets him like counterbalance some of the shit he has to do or thinks he has to do for the church. Right. And he then makes that explicit in the very, I think final shot of the episode. Right. It's him with this boy and or person. And he says that, you know, atone, I, you know, help me atone for all I will have to do to save the church. And like mm. the figure to whom he expresses that. And like, here's, some like weird like you know able-bodied people towards disabled people right. like pedestalization right, you right, know right. savior stuff going yeah. on through the disabled disabled person that he is going to try to seek this atonement 
Maybe. I that, that's an uncharitable like, reading, but, like, I think it's like, an available I think, reading. I think it's available that you read it through this lens of, like, super crypness, yeah. right? Like, I think we there's a lot about this in disability studies of the idea of the super crypt. Yeah. Who, you know, is, like, a disabled person who's doing um, amazing things. Um, but at the same time, I also think about the Catholic Church's dogma that we support the most vulnerable, and the most yeah. vulnerable people are the most pure and revered by God. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if this is also in a way, which will fall a little bit into the theory of super crip, but we're seeing like this person, I'm going to stick with boy because they look underage. Um, And, and Lenny, who is like able-bodied, beautiful, everything that you would want versus, and, and, but also materialistic and awful, something that God would hate Mm -hmm. versus this boy who like, Blessed are the meek, best blessed are those who need the most help. This is what God wants us to do is to help the most vulnerable. Um, does the Catholic Church ever really do this? No. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that he asked this person who would, in theory, be closer to God because of their um, just their circumstances in life to forgive him. Yeah. So that was kind of my take on it. So amazing reading of that situation. And, like, there's a contrast in this episode between the multiplicity of readings available about Voyello in general or Voyello mm-hmm. and his relationship to this person, like, contrasted with the, like, extremely harsh depiction of Cardinal Spencer. Right. right? Like, Lenny's mentor, Lenny Shepard, right, if right. we will, who then, like, says that relationship is over. Yes. Right? Like, no longer tied to him at all. Um, you don't know how to love. Right. Spencer tells Lenny he doesn't know how to love. Lenny says, you're hurting me, which is like mm-hmm. a really, really profound response. So like Spencer seems to be filling the parent role maybe in a way that Sister Mary isn't because Sister Mary was so explicit mm-hmm. about like, I'm Sister Mary, I'm not Ma. Um, right. So there, there's that aspect of it going on. And then obviously there's like God the Father and like if yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. was his mentor, shepherd, whatever, right. there's some like daddy stuff happening there. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect of it. Then there's the like politicking aspect of that because Cardinal Spencer's suggest to Lenny that he should resign because Spencer would win at the next conclave if Lenny right. wanted to resign. So like shortest Pope following in Benedict's shoes of just straight up resigning, that would be really amusing. And Lenny right. like has no desire for that whatsoever. Right. Um, and then Spencer tells Lenny that he's nothing. Right. Echoing, of course, Lenny's like one of his many forms of I am a terrible person, right. self-flagellation. Well, and also digging very close to home because we yes. watched, we watched, um, Spencer last episode um, attempt to complete suicide yes. and had to be restrained. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the ultimate sins in um, the Catholic Church, obviously, and he would be relegated to not to being in like permanent limbo, essentially. You know, yeah. Dante envisions it as you're like a tree um, that's in perpetually in pain. Um, so I think that was interesting that he went. I don't think. Lenny knows that about Spencer, but I do think he, but I do think it struck hard with Spencer of that. Not only did he have those thoughts about himself, but now Lenny is also saying this, that Mm -hmm. you would basically be better off dead. Yeah. In the same conversation where Lenny says, I need you. Right. And Spencer says, but I don't need you, Lenny. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's, yeah, that's, that's happening. Um, 
And like, there's a weird connection there as well with Mary, and she has this like brief conversation, <laughs> taking a break from you know Hooper, sister Mary, mm-hmm. uh, taking taking some shots um, with the basketball on Vatican grounds, and and the reverse of the first conversation between them two, between mm-hmm. the two of them, Voyello comes to and like finds her or has right. been following her or whatever, um, and seeks her out to talk, and like sister Mary gives this line about how she has never really known love or truly lived. And thus she fits in perfectly at the Vatican, which is a city-state full of lost souls who have never really lived. Mm. Um, so there's like a depth and intensity of Sister Mary's um, like longing or regret or something. Right. Or like it seems on the one hand like she's incredibly fulfilled and like has succeeded in Catholic Church terms uh, for orphanage. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this like personal emotional lack that she's felt potentially as a result. Right. I had read this as also a critique of like our own work in the uh, upper um, or in higher education too, where we, so sister Mary has done the boots on the ground work of like with orphans clearly has done some living outside of her obligations and um, her vows as a sister. Um, And so I had taken the read initially that and thought of like our own work here where I have like definitely said to people like working in higher education, you do not work in the real world. Like everything about this is contrived and made up. And so at the same, so it's kind of like comparing, like when I talk with friends who are not in higher education, their experiences and how they experience work is very different. I would see Sister Mary as to a person who just has a degree working out in the real world um, is to higher ed as to the Vatican City, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. these are not real worlds. And if, allegedly they're making big um, big decisions. I would also say you could even further that where, mm-hmm. like, Vatican City and everything the Pope's office does is the same as to upper administration. Um, <laughs> whereas Sister Mary is doing the stuff that I do as staff at a university. <laughs> um, so I would say there's the comparison. Like, she's point... I think I took it as, like, she's like, this. none of this is real. This is contrived. A lot of egos fighting. Um, the big decisions that are being made affect people who are... do not have those same privileges or power. Yeah. So... What a read. Um, I have to sit with that one for a minute or two. Did I scare you, John? No. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I'm well aware of the failings of higher ed in general, my role in higher ed, right. limited in Baghdad, et cetera, so on and so forth. So to say a little a little bit more about Esther, because I think Esther raises a question, as does mm-hmm. um, Lenny's confrontation with Asante, about the show's... What the show has to say about sex and what the show has to say about sex's relationship to Catholicism um, so far because, like, Esther seemingly is capable of, like, deep and profound emotion. Right. But that is totally severed for her from having sex with her husband. Right. Who, like, you know, not... You know, nothing right home about. Yeah, nothing right home I, about. I would kick him out of bed for eating crackers <laughs> in the bed. <laughs> um... And all she has to say is, I love you. And, like, he says, you know, love's not enough or something that's different than what he needs during sex. And she says love's not enough for you and that sex is only for procreation, right? Right. So, like, there's this way in which she is, like, following too closely the, like, dictums and dogmas of the Catholic Church's, um, like, separation of pleasure and sex. Right. Which is just hilarious to me, because if you are someone who has read the Bible in its content, in, like, its full form, even even in the King James form, which is, like, the most edited, like, the Song of... 
So oh, we're it's still we're, there. We're officially, uh, as a podcast, a King James podcast. No. When we go to like read Bible quotes and because it comes oh, up to me Americans, oh, okay. as a gag, we always go to King James. Oh, do we? No, okay. no new internationalist, you know, bullshit here. I don't mind the new internationalist <laughs> version, but that's fine. Um, Meat sauce, new internationalist. Okay. So, but anyways, like the song of songs is still a thing that yeah. exists, mm-hmm. right? Which is like about having reverence for a partner um, and their body. And that's important to yeah. procreation, right? Um, which I think is interesting because there's so much about like <laughs> the relation, like the relationships. I mean, as someone who went to a Catholic college, like the relationships Catholics, I think have to bodies is really bizarre. Yeah. To say the least. Um, <laughs> like I'm not even joking when I say like these people have a line dance for everything. Like the first time I was at like a dance party sponsored by the college, I will say like the amount of times that people were like, save room for Jesus. We were adults. Yeah. <laughs> it's not high school. Yeah. Um, the amount of times that I have a vivid memory of, we had a video dance party at the end of my orientation week where the music video for Lady Gaga's Alejandro came up. People lost their minds. <laughs> they had to skip it because they were like very upset. <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't know. Do my thing. But um, also, like, very strict rules as to when men and women can be in the same room as each other. We had... I had never heard of anyone else going to a public school having co-ed hours like my college had, um, which was that boys could not be in my room um, past 1 a.m. on weekdays and 2 p.m. or 2 a.m. on weekends. Mm. Um, Extra hour, real generous. We get one extra hour. This, like, weird relationship with bodies, obviously a huge struggle, which is weird when you're also imbibing the body and blood of Christ once a week. I mean, this is like the dogmas around sex or just keeping distance or whatever. Like right. at the same time, the um, extreme intimacy of what is supposed to be literally imbibing the body and blood right, right. after post transubstantiation. Right. So the other thing with Esther is that I I predict that she's in love with Lenny, and I think it's really interesting because I'm wondering if she would have more excitement about potentially like sleeping with the Pope than with her husband because he is the holiest of holy people, um, and maybe that would have some. She would have some more enthusiasm about that. Um, would be my other kind of thought of like, hmm, what's where's her really? Is her is she like this because she's so devout, and maybe she doesn't view her husband as being holy enough to have sex with her? Yeah, and even so, though he's like literally a guard for the Pope, right? But, but a la- Lenny, but Lenny, still, yeah. right? Lenny as the Pope has the holiest <laughs> of penises, yes. really. Well, so do you think that if Le- if Esther were to fall in love with Lenny? Um, if we just go down the rec- the rectory route for a minute, would it be like eros love or agape love mm. or both? I feel like both. Yeah. Okay. I feel like both. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's I don't know. I think those are my thoughts on Esther. <laughs> um, Great. So we have um, I don't know. Totally not not totally disconnected uh, transition to make, which is Lenny a fascist? You've you've hinted think, this I is the theory, is. so I, I, I want to he hear is. more about uh, about I, this. I think he's trying to create like a very much a cult of personality around himself, um, where it's like we can't envision it. But here's the thing: is when you can't envision what a person looks like, you put a face to them. Anyways, that's just how we all are. Um, you know, I think um, a lot of like that song um, by one uh, like some Lil- Lilith Fair singer where. It's like, what if God is one of us, right? <laughs> and she asks, like, in the lyrics, like, what's the face of God look like? Mm-hmm. Is he a slob, right? So anyone <laughs> will ascribe a face. Joan Osborne. Oh, right. 
Lilith Fair Queen. <laughs> um, What's the nose ring? Great nose ring. I know. That's the kind of nose ring I see for myself. Yeah. Uh, you can pull it off for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, don't encourage me. I really, on Monday, thought hard about getting my nose pierced. I'm the wrong person to go to if you want me to not encourage things. I think when we don't ima- when we don't know what someone looks like, though, we imagine what they do yeah. look like. Like, this is the common paradox of, like, getting catfished in online dating. Mm. So I think that's where he's going. Is He's trying to create this cult of personality where you can envision whatever you want onto the Pope. And then that's how we rally under our glorious leader. And then he also does like xenophobic things in the speech. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're not Catholic, you don't care. We, you don't count like undoes JP two work, which is like impressive that he managed to like make friends with the Jewish people and improve our relationship, like the yeah. Catholic relationship with Muslims. Persecution of queers. Yeah. Classic. Exactly. Nazi shit. Yeah. Exactly. So he's doing, doing a lot of things that I think he's fascist. Yeah. I don't think fascism is the it's like the right rubric or categorization for the very real elements of Lenny that you're identifying. Because like when I think about fascism, I think of it as the charismatic leader who, in his and it's almost always a him, although like Marie Le Pen, mm. you know, accepted, um, and uh, our the current prime minister of Italy accepted um, as well. But wait, like, dude, are you talking about Berlusconi? Because isn't he dead now? Well, Berlusconi dead. Uh, okay. but current current prime minister, okay. who my colleague Lucia is going to be very mad that I'm forgetting her name at this exact moment, and okay. we'll uh, Wikipedia when I get the chance. But there's like the visual politics and cues of fascism, and more so the like embodiment in the leader of the people, who thus must be hyper present and hyper visual um like the the aesthetics surrounding lenny are there but like it's missing the body of the fuhrer or the body of il duce right mm-hmm. like there's the the charismatic figure in its like negative absence like photo negative almost quite literally absence mm, okay. i think like shifts it somewhat outside of fascism and towards like some other kind of you know like mystical authoritarianism okay. Okay. that like has affinities to fascism but is not mm. it's like if i were to like poli it a lot i think okay. okay but maybe i just mansplained fascism so that's not great no, I, how can you mansplain fascism, fascism to someone who understands what fascism is so far? It's <laughs> a great point. Um, great point. Uh, lighter fare in the rest of Gloss. We should just talk about a couple of uh, random Lenny lines. Um, he hates Harvard. You support this. I do, this. too. I fucking hate Harvard as well. He doubles down on this, like, multiple times. He shits on Harvard. As a sign of American decline. Truly. Well, I mean, I feel like the Ivy League is... Um, everything that's wrong with American education. And the, like, obscene focus on the ivies of the world, like, fucks up the rest of public education. Yes. Like, the av- if you, like, read media or social media coverage of higher ed, like, you yeah. think that the average student, like, average professor, average worker mm-hmm. at a higher education institution is, like, at Harvard or Princeton or whatever. Right. No, it's, like, us at a mediocre state school. Yes. And, like, I say that with, like, love for the purpose of mediocre state schools exactly. and public right. higher ed. Well, and then I also like the fact, I love that he hates Harvard because a lot of the things of the Ivy League encourage us to live in the ivory tower where the mm-hmm. world isn't really real. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it just creates the mystique of like the educated American, which yeah. 
doesn't necessarily exist. Right. And again, it's the the Americanness of Lenny and like how he relates to American institutions right. and then European perceptions of. Right. And the d- disjuncture between those two. Right. Like for Sophia, it's like a huge brag that she graduated from Harvard and Lenny's right. like, I don't take that. Right. I don't, I don't also, that. why would you go to Harvard for a degree in marketing when you would probably get a better education at Stanford? Mm. Known for their business marketing, as yeah. well as the University of California system. Yeah, Stanford also known for its neocons. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so we talked about Lenny's references to himself as right. Salinger and so on and so forth. And I think, though, my favorite single line, the thing that makes me laugh the hardest in this episode, is when he presses the button to get Asante uh, <laughs> out of there, and the sister that comes in um, is like, your, your holy father, like, it's time for your snack, which A is just a hilarious line, but it's not only that that's the line they give, is that Lenny then says snack and like purely snorts um, that like really brings it home. And they have this moment of going back and forth about it's time for his snack. And then he tries to like put a straight face to his Sunday that that's that like that's what he's doing yeah. <laughs> but he can't do it and everything about that interaction just makes me laugh like right. purely and in a godly way I mean I say I will say this like as we are two people who value snacks very Absolutely. much like um, we get to Montreal our first goal is like where can we get some boba tea right <laughs> and I'm hungry and I need a snack and John says all I have is protein bars not an acceptable snack for me <laughs> um I will we make like, it we were the in the boba. car like you I know, know. Um, if it was if it was a four hour drive there would have been real snacks that's okay yeah um it, you th- I thought I could also make it for the hour <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, we were on the border cro- at the border crossing for a long time. It's true. It's very true. It was the longest border crossing we've ever had. It's true. Um, <laughs> so we, um, I, I would say there's some reverence to snacks for yeah. a lot of people, but Lenny is also someone who does not revere. Right. Him. What the fuck is the sister getting him for a snack? Another Cherry Coke Zero? <laughs> a cigarette and a Cherry Coke Zero, i.e. snack time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, the Cherry Coke Zero, I guess, but that seems like it is not the hunger quotient combo of some protein and carbs. But, like, as the saint he is, he doesn't get hungry, right? Like, no, I mean, so true. he sits down and, like, the dinner he thought Sister Mary was going to be there. And, like, right. and we can't quite see what he has in front of him, but it looks like it's just, like, a grapefruit. And, like, right. his dinner was a grapefruit. Or, like, Ugh. a couple of big tomatoes. And, like, that's it. I that's mean, <laughs> great right. snacks. Both snap the tomato more than the grapefruit. Like, get some good salt, good pepper on there. Right. Like, you know. Some cheese would be better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also right. that. All right. Uh, but, yeah, a sad, a sad life of spiritual fasting for Lenny all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, from snack time, it's time to think about potpourri. Yes. Where would you like to start in potpourri, this potpourri this week? Um, oh, the football playing nuns. Yeah? Um, who are all Carmelites. Um, okay. Based Can you on, explain that to the uh, sure. ungodly um, among us? Carmelites, I think, are best described as um, they're more traditional. They do works of service. Um, I'm going to consult our really great friend, um, Wikipedia. Um, so they're the Order of the Brothers and sometimes also Sisters of the Blessed Virgin. I think it's interesting that they he cho- they choose to shoot what appear, appears to be Carmelites doing something very active and social of the team sport, team sport of football slash soccer. Um, and that one of the embellishments of it is that it's like 
soccer played at a very, very high level. Yes. And they're also very young sisters and they all have their sleeves pushed up. And I'm wondering if also this is like another thing kind of going back to our points about Esther and her her views on sexuality is that like nuns are sexualized all the time in like weird fucking ways at Halloween, porn, whatever you make of it. Like this is our sexy nun shot is them being like very butch though of like putting up their sleeves and playing soccer. Don't worry. The, uh, the new Pope. So the like sequel slash second season of young Pope, um, they lean heavily into sexualizing extremely femme nuns. Interesting. we get we get our full representation of problematically sexy nuns. Um, yeah, I feel like first. I have too much respect for nuns to sexualize them. Why would you ever do that? Fair. Yes, the football playing nuns I thought was really interesting of like, let's be normal people and like play soccer. Yeah. Well, there's like the sports and games come up a couple of times in this episode, True. right? Because like we also get uh, Voyello's pool table, mm-hmm. which also has the dog is <laughs> on the pool table right. chilling while Amatucci and Voyello are playing pool. Right. Um, which I love. Obviously, Sister Mary playing basketball. So we have yes. a very, like, athletic set of Catholics here. Yeah. I mean, and I think that gives it, I mean, you have to do some kind of embodiment when you're doing that much, like, yeah. scholarly work of reading and speech writing and, yeah. and thinking about things. Um, but also, there's, like, a fun element right. to it as well. Part of me or the athleticism. Part of me wonders of if it's a sisters. bit of a reference to um, mm. seminal classic film of Whoopi Goldberg's The Ooh, Sister Act and yeah. Sister Act 2. That's, um, a, that's that seems totally possible, right? Like an excellent, uh, excellent set of films about Catholicism. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> bringing out the best of Catholicism with Whippy Goldberg. No of shock course. that we put that work on a black woman. Imagine that, right? Uh, so we get this opening scene of the cardinals like getting dressed. They're like living quarters while they're all at the Vatican, which are one's like, presumably getting a testosterone shot. Yeah, some sort of shot in the ass. Yep. Um, I don't know. I always think back to the Mad Men episode where they all get B twelve shots I've, in the I've ass. I've never seen Mad Men. Fun fact: you and Danielle both. <laughs> oh man, good company. Um, so there's that part of it, which I enjoyed. Um, like one of the things, and this is, a, you know, speaking of the fascism element, you, one of the like ways in which I think your fascism reading is like kind of spot on is that Asente tells Lenny that like you've chosen the name Pope Pius, and if that tells us anything, mm-hmm. well, Pius the Twelfth uh, said that Mussolini came from like divine providence or something like that, right? right. So like there is, of course, like the <clears throat> earlier Catholic Church in the 20th century, and it's like alliance with right. or quasi alliance well, with Mussolini. Also, like we have the reason for concern of that he's chosen thirteenth, mm-hmm. which we talked about last episode yeah. of like it's not it's the number associated with the person who betrays God. Yeah. Um, so interesting about the divine providence too of that. Yeah. Um, I also think about a little bit of like how this opening scene is humanizing people a lot. Um, and I think of my own, I have a friend who's a Carmelite nun actually, which now I know so much about Carmelites where she was work, she was like doing her, her daily work of working with some small children and like her, um, wimple fell and this kid, like little kid, cause she's wrestling him into bed is like, you have hair. And, <laughs> And Sister Lucia was like, yeah, you can see it too. And like whipped off the headpiece <laughs> and the kid lost his shit. Um, yeah. So for the, for the record, they do have hair under there. Wow. Um, but yeah. Breaking news. Right. Breaking news. They do have 
hair is underneath the headpieces. Yeah. Um, so I think also giving some human aspects to it, but we don't see that human aspect out of Lenny at all. We, because no. he has like the weirdest rituals of the morning ever. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, does the Levitt family have any Pope merch? And the answer was yes. Yes. JP2, unsurprising. I'm pretty sure my grandparents on my dad's side, if I remember correctly, had some JP2 merch. JP2 merch is very popular, yeah. though, I think, with um, Catholics of our parents' generation and age. Um, yeah, so we have a JP2 medallion that is um, in the opening. My parents have, like, a ranch-style house. And uh, when you open the front door to go inside, there's a bookshelf right next to it. So you can't necessarily see it, but it is useful if Jehovah Witnesses show up because we do have a rosary there. We have a medallion with okay. JP2's face Great. on it. So you can pull those down and, sure. and scare away the Jehovah's Witnesses yeah. and also like sometimes Mormon elders. Vampire thing. Like instead of using the cross yes. to drive away the vampires. You use the medallion yeah. to drive away the Witnesses. Yeah. Um, and sometimes Mormons. Sure. Um, so yes. Um, and it's also lovingly, um, actually uh, framed by what I think you would actually like a very abstract um, because my mom loves abstract art. Great. Um, an abstract, Another thing that means vibing the other Susan. Yes, a very abstract um, painting or um, glass sculpture of um, the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus. Cool. Um, my grandmother um, has many different uh, relics before she, well, they're now some of them are mine um, because she passed recently. Um, lots of like, a, we, there is a name, a plate with JP2's face on it. Um, my family does not like Pope Frankie because they think he's too liberal. So we don't have a lot of Frankie merch. That scans from what you told me. So, yes. <laughs> and I think I'll just point out that like Ben Lenny has this line about the Vatican being a city state without any access to the sea. Yes. Which is just really funny funny to me and also like the the political status of vatican city is a remnant or like relic of the holy roman empire right, right. all of this stuff in the past is just i think notable when we're thinking about catholic shit but also like isn't it right on the tiber river and not that far from the ocean i don't know about distance from the ocean my italian geography is poor let's say we'll um, have to ask lucia we will have to ask lucia and uh yeah, I know, like, I'm thinking, you know, like, obviously, it's not, not obviously, as like, bullshit political theory thing, I always think about, like, Athens and the Piraeus, right? Mm. Like, that they're however many miles apart they are. I'm sure Danielle is, if she's listening, screaming at me that I should know that. Um, right. Maybe it's 13, because maybe Mar- Marathon is, like, there and back from the Piraeus to the um, city. I don't, I don't remember. Well, right? a Marathon is, in, is, like, 26 point something yeah. miles, Yeah, so, right? so you've got it by two. Maybe that's how far yeah, the maybe. Piraeus is from. Anyway, i am gotten us off track. Imagine that. And that means I'm stalling, for no good reason, from the world's <laughs> best podcast segment. So I turn it over to you, Regan Levitt. Oh, uh, are we going to talk about St. Francis of Assidney? Oh, yeah, please. Oh, okay. So I think also, like, the other potpourri joke that I think is hilarious in this episode is with Boyo saying after Lenny, like, gets the bats down the kangaroo and charms it, does the kangaroo whispering, and he goes, ah, yeah, St. Francis of Assidney. <laughs> <laughs> Good Boyo impersonation, Thank you, one. thank you. Um, and two, just, like... An extremely endearing line from Voyello and the his self satisfaction that he like right. he'd been work he'd been workshopping that right one. Yeah. right he'd been thinking on that I believe I do believe the patron saint of Australia um, Saint Mary help of Christians would approve yeah absolutely um, um, so Saint Francis of Assisi was Assisi was 
a church that uh, we went to for a couple of years on Christmas and Easter. Interesting. <laughs> I went to St. Francis Xavier Church growing up. Okay. Um, someone also associated with animals, I believe. But I know a lot of people who I do know St. Francis of Assisi is an extremely popular confirmation name. Good reason. It's but, nice to be nice to animals. But not not mine. Um, we're still searching. I am wondering now if you picked St. Anthony, which is not a bad pick. And maybe they just didn't double up like they did with me. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, my grandfather was also Anthony. That's, that's why my only name is right. Anthony. No, so. and I mean St. Anthony, um, I think... Ooh, I'm trying to remember what his, saint, his patron saint is. Ooh, custody go. of the Holy Land Miracles Travelers. Ooh, so we have Find, Finding one's spouse, something John's really interested in. What? <laughs> <laughs> Slander and lies. Blasphemy. Um, Heresy. Right. Sterility. Poverty. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> sailors, fishermen, watermen, swineherds, mail carriers. Uh, counter-revolutionaries. Oh, Ooh, no. no. That's plenty appropriate. Um, lost souls. Um, harvests. Wow. I think it's interesting that he's patron saint of both pregnancy and sterility. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Indigenous peoples of the Americas. I'm skeptical about that one. Um, I believe that is St. Kateri, who was recently canonized. Um, I think St. Anthony lost those. Um, I do love that one of his symbols is a book, but also a mule. That feels very you. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> that, that that I accept. <laughs> no spouse searching going on. I reject St. Anthony and his All right, so perhaps it is there, not. There are a couple elements of Anthony that I do embrace, um, if well, I'm being honest. We'll continue so. to hypothesize. Yes. Anyways, on to our next segment. Yes, the world's favorite segment. Yes, hot preaching. Taking training. the world by storm. So this our second episode of yes. The Young Pope. Um, I have given, on the scale of Gigolo Joe to Graham in the Holiday, um, I'm rating Lenny at a Jerome Eugene Morrow from Gattaca. Um, so a very austere man, um, lost faith, ex- still handsome, still does action, uh-huh. um, but also like incredibly unsettling. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's that's the rating. This is lower. This is below the midpoint of okay. Alfie and Dan, but I agree on all aspects of this, both where this fits in on the scale, but then also that like Lenny with the speech in particular is giving Gattaca vibes. Yes, so I strong Gattaca vibes. So I realized we skipped over an important part because I actually think it touches on some of like the stylistic elements. Um, but I want to finish hot priest rating first. Okay. How are we feeling about hot priest rating? Um, I think that a hot, hot priest rating is good to go. Okay. So we have our official ruling uh, from Regan Arbiter, Regan, patron saint of hot priests. Sure. Great. I'll take it. Patron saint of like the female gaze is actually okay. I, I think do. yeah, that's we'll do, a, we'll, a broader, we'll more encompassing like yes. hot priests included in there, but from a yes necessary and important perspective, yes. and just an element of it. Indeed, great. Uh, so there's a couple stylistic things that um, I forgot to mention earlier that I think are worth noting. One is the like way that the show is playing. We talked a little bit about this last time, like the overexposure in terms of the colors and like the particular choices with lighting that it uses. Mm. Um, both like enhanced natural lighting, right? right? Like the way that it's fucking with the camera um, when they're outside to like overexpose it and to like have the sun. And so often Lenny, either by himself or with other characters, um, including Gutierrez, um, and Gutierrez even then like explicitly thematizes this, is 
in the light, right, while other characters are in the darkness. And so, like, if one was to pay attention solely to, like, how is Lenny lit in general or in relation to other characters, I think there's a lot of interesting things happening there. Mm. But then that's paired with, it's, I think, the first scene in Sister Mary's apartment where he, like, blurrily fades into the darkness mm. of, like, a cavernous room. Um, so, like, obviously there's, like, Jesus imagery and, like, the stone right, and right, everything right. Um, in the cave. And then there's all, you know other darkness uh kind of godly related metaphors there but it's just a cool visual um and then in addition to the kangaroo in addition to the dog on the pool table right. i only caught this this time around but in this opening scene when Royello and sophia are walking around outside at the vatican mm-hmm. um there are a couple of shots of these like plastic owls <laughs> which yeah. i'm presuming are meant to like ward off actual birds yes but then, in one of its many, like, embellishes, the show quickly, like, cuts to, like, a quick shot, half a second of the owl, and then, like, puts on the soundtrack an owl hooting, as if mm. this plastic owl was hooting. Interesting. So I yeah, just, I, I didn't, really, ca- I didn't I really, even catch that either. I just really love the way the show just does, like, small things. They don't have to be there. Right. But the fact that that texture is there when watching the show is something I deeply, deeply appreciate. Mm. As long-time listeners, they're not quite quick books now. I don't know. I think now that I'm now that you point out the owl, I'm thinking really hard about the duality owls hold in America. In the Western view, owls are wisdom, yeah. right? But Native many Native American cultures, I think specifically the Cherokee, um, find that owls are harbingers of demons. So, like for example, in the show Reservation Dogs, anytime there's one of those plastic warding owls pictured or an owl at all, they like blur the owl out hilariously. Of like, we're not going to look upon the owl. <laughs> um, so, kind of an interesting thought. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, obviously we have, like, the Owl of Athena yes. tattooed on mine and Danielle's body. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> um, we have, you know, the Owl of Minerva, right? Mm-hmm. Flies at Midnight, Hegel, right. nonsense um, as well. So there's yeah. lots of owl things. All right, sorry, that was a diversion. Um, one other thing that I, I do want to note that was in our uh, lost recording of episode one, but you had a couple of good points, so I wanted to bring it back up as well, that Paolo Sorrentino talked about Spike Lee as an influence on the visual style of the young Pope. And I was wondering if you had any kind of ways that you think that that's coming through. I mean, it does a lot of it in the first episode with that dolly shot of like following um, Lenny into like giving speeches. Mm -hmm. Um, Spike Lee is one of my favorite directors of all time. Um, which, I mean, interesting contrast with the person tied in that spot of, like, you can't get any two people more different than Spike Lee and Wes Anderson. <laughs> Are we going to see Asteroid City? Are we rounding up we can. The, the folks? It comes out in Burlington this weekend. Oh, okay. Um, we could try. Um, I'm supposed to see The Little Mermaid with Justin. <laughs> as as you should. Yeah. We'll see if we find time. Um, we can do Asteroid City a future weekend. Okay. Actually, um, I think Asteroid City may even be, may even be at Cumberland 12. So. Okay. Um, we'll see. Yeah. We have, there's many plans for this week. I guess. That's true. <laughs> as we get closer and closer to 6 p.m. Um, so I, I, I'm, I didn't see as many references to Spike Lee in this episode as I did to the second, the first episode. Yeah. So in the first episode, and I think this is the thing that Sorrentino specifically referenced is like the way that he was influenced by Spike Lee is the way that he shot people's faces. Mm. Um, he, he, the Sorrentino says was influenced by Spike mm. Lee. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And again, I think to your point that that's more evident in the first episode than the second. Yeah. 
I can I can see that. All right. I think the T-shirt that Sister Mary wears is definitely a reference <laughs> to Spike Lee because his because he always his folks are costumed in a hilarious way usually. Yeah. Spike Lee. Yeah. Joint. Yeah. Oh, love some Spike Lee talk on not quite great books. Right. Should we head into the cave? Yes. All right. It's time for Aquinas. Our Aquinas this week, uh, which is from the Summa Two A Two A E One O Four Add One. There is nothing to prevent two specific aspects of praiseworthiness to which two specific virtues correspond from occurring together in the same material object. Hmm. Where would you like to take that, Regan? <laughs> I know where you want to, are going to want to take this. Okay. So I think you go first. It's obviously the fucking kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or at least Lenny's relationship with the kangaroo. Right. Um, and perhaps it's like their bond that we can take as the material object that has both the element of like the kangaroo as wild, violent, untamed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? But like, and there's might be a certain virtue to that and the like naturalness of it. And like maybe by being more natural, it's closer to God in some way. Right? Mm. I don't think that actually works theologically, but let's run with it. But then Lenny. kangaroos. But like, yeah. Yeah, but Lenny then is bringing the saintly vibes to the encounter. Okay. So, like, in their bond as the object, they get these different virtues. There's the, like, extremely, um, like, gentle, godly energy from Lenny that has its own virtue to it, but also, like, the direct naturalness of the kangaroo. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, kind of where I had gotten some my my while listening to you, getting my thoughts wrapped around for this quote, was thinking about um, Lenny's um, disreference for objects, and he doesn't Ooh, want his face on objects, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so he's removing the materialistic relationship between the church mm-hmm. and um, and his his visage, really. Um, and re- so removing that from uh, the equation entirely and saying objects are not holy. Yeah. Um, which is hard to say because the Catholic Church has a long history of holy objects. Sure saint- does. Saintly relics. Um, holy anything- grails and whatnot. Holy grails. The whole tabernacle thing in general, <laughs> frankly. Um, holy bread. <laughs> which is really more Jesus of a on toast or Mary yeah. on an avocado, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, lots of, of those physical signs and how God enacts within the yeah. world. But he's saying, like, no, no, we're not doing that. It's interesting. And maybe this is, like, the duality that that quote is getting at. That, like, he's denying the objects mm-hmm. in that particular way at the same time that it's, like, Lenny would just prefer we venerate the plain white octagonal plate. Right. Like, is itself, like, find God in this boring-ass plate. Right. right. So there's the way in which there's both like this reverence for right. the ordinary objects is like you don't for Lenny's projecting that you don't need more than that if you actually truly are in relation with God. Right. What if God was one of us? Just a <laughs> like one of us. Eating off a dirty plate like one of us trying right. to find its way to the dishwasher. All right. <laughs> um, I feel like that was a really successful Aquinas time. I think so, too. So let's head to Theory Ship. You've got a great one. Yes. Um, this week, I am shipping Esther with um, Lauren Berlant, um, specifically great. the female complaint. Oh, love this. Um, so, uh, but also, um, I think there is a Lauren Berlant piece about, like, crowds and the power of crowds. Um you know, it'll turn up eventually. Um, so also, so Lauren Berlant, you know, does a lot with how the, the power of women's bodies. Um, and I think Esther needs to get um, a little more in touch with herself. Okay. Um, and also um, understanding that um, she's a Catholic church is not going to treat her well as a woman, no matter how pious she is. That 
is a great Berlant point because that is like the Catholic Church is the object of cruel optimism for mm. Esther. Ooh. Man, you're so much better at theory than I am. No, that's that's not true. That's not true. I would not have gotten there had you not opened up this Uh, new world of thinking about Berlant. I'm going to go with the most boring and obvious theory ship here in 12 (laughs) seconds. So please do not venerate my theory shipping. All right, all right, all right. So I Uh, I love this Berlant ship. Okay. I think she would do well to read some Berlant. I think most of us could. Uh, R.I.P. Berlant. Um, all right, so I'm going to give just like a whole shit ton of marks to okay. to, to Voyello and Sophia, but more so Voyello, mm. um, given that Voyello like deals with the financial aspects right. of the thing, and there's questions about where he's getting all of this money from, right? Like we could give him, and I'm thinking you know about like the objects and like do objects mm. have you know what meaning do objects have? Well, he's what, obviously sexually <laughs> attracted to the Venus of Villendorf. There is that. I noticed the Venus of Villendorf earrings are back. They are. Which we love to see. Um, so, like, I think we're going to need some, like, 1844 manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe this is, that's more for Sophia, perhaps, like, okay. talking about craftsmanship, because we can get into, like, you know, alienation and labor and species being right. and, like, right. some of the weird shit that Marx does in the 1844 manuscripts. Um, and then, like, maybe we'll just give um, all three volumes of Capital to Voyello to, like, okay. think about labor and think about labor value and think about uh, extracting surplus labor vis-a-vis the Catholic church but there's also then towards the end of volume one we can think about primitive accumulation in the church and it's you know crusading bullshit and colonial bullshit and all of that so a lot of marks to Voyello and Sophia Mm -hmm. like I said much more boring than Berlant to Esther I will do nothing except for surprise you and get (laughs) things a little goofy all right well Regan, it's been quite a time, quite a long time. Yes. Congrats to us. So much, <laughs> Congrats, ed- so much editing for Editor Larry. Appreciate it. Congrats. Um, yeah. So, as always, thank you to Regan for Young Pope being this summer. Oh. Thank you. Thanks, John. To Danielle. <laughs> thank you to producer Amy. And until next time, this has been Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon and indirectly producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.